What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to Network Podcast. It is Mike and Holden. Today, we are unpacking Apple's peak performance spring 22 event, first event of the year. Holden, there is so much to talk about. It was an exciting event. A lot of surprises. We're going to get into it, but Holden, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. I'm really excited. I don't know what you got yet, and I'm really excited to know what you got. That's like, it's the tease. Now you have to listen to the podcast to to know what Michael got, because I want to know and everyone wants to know. What did you get, Michael? But don't tell us yet. We'll get there. Oh, well, you, if you want to share right now, you can. I want to know. No, I don't put the cart before the horse. Let's follow <laughs> the outline and let's talk about what Apple announced today. So we have the very first thing they talked about was the announcement that they're bringing Major League Baseball to Apple TV Plus on Friday nights where they're, I think they're streaming two games starting whenever baseball starts. But I guess the thing is no one knows when baseball starts because they're currently in a lockout contract or they're in a lockout. Oh, no, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. I saw the like their little Sizzler commercial for the you know, for Apple TV Plus. I'm like, oh my God, this looks awesome. I'm like, oh wait, I forgot. They're in lockout right now. So yeah, that <laughs> is the thing I thought was kind of funny. You know, they walk through um, you know, all, like all the different players and everything. It was a good good teaser, but it's I I don't know when baseball starts. I, I don't know how that's impacted by this. Mm-hmm. It's not really clear if it's like out of market games and I haven't been able to find anything like definite, but it does. It's a nice value add if you are an Apple TV plus subscriber. Yeah, it's it's I think it's and I don't know much about sports. So pardon my lack of knowledge here. I might be completely off on the saying, but I don't know of any other streaming service that offers sports like that. I don't think that there are. Uh, well, so Amazon Prime Video offers football, I think, on Thursday nights, if I'm not mistaken. OK, OK. Yeah, but it, it's that, that's the only one. For American sports, you know, there's obviously um, there are other services like Paramount Plus where they offer it's like European soccer, South American soccer, mm-hmm. and then um, Peacock offers the Premier League, which but I don't know if they if they like since those are not national sports like national in the U.S. if those are sports that they have like contracts with someone with or if they're you know like the the national carrier the national distributor of that I, I don't believe that they are but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Who knows? Even like I'm not a sports person at all. Like just not, you know, at all. It's just not my thing. No judgment against anyone who, who is in sports. Just, just not my thing. But with that said, like I can totally recognize why this is a really big deal. Sports is the big reason why people spend so much money on their cable contracts with the crazy premium channels and stuff because they want access to sports or a team they follow or something like that. So I think that Apple probably needs to do and really all the streaming services need to invest in this more. It's tough because the cable contracts are insane with uh, different sport uh, sporting uh, organizations, but um, it's a great start and this is huge for them. It's huge. Yeah. And not that it's known yet, but there's there's supposedly there was a rumor that Apple was taking over or looking to take over the Sunday football. I can't think what it's called on Dish Network, but it's whatever contract they have. But that's neither here nor there. Anything you want to add to about the Apple TV Plus? I think it's it's very just it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. I love Apple TV Plus. I think the search shows are fantastic so far. So I'm just happy that it's getting more content. It's seeing support. I need to watch Severance. I watched the first two episodes, loved it. I need to keep watching Severance. Yeah, I haven't watched too much. So next we have the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro coming in two new colors. So there's Alpine Green, which is the color that they have for the iPhone 13 Pro and 13 Pro Max. And then there's just, it looks like it's just being called green for the iPhone 13 and 13 mini. I don't know. I'm not necessarily a green person. I do like the Alpine Green a little bit more than, because it's a little bit more metallic-y than the other green. But it just seems like they're kind of doing that spring refresh where they're adding a new color to the already existing iPhones. There are no other changes, no pricing changes, no feature changes. These devices are 
available for pre-order on Friday the 11th, and then they ship in stores on Friday the 18th. Do you know anyone that is the type of person who waits until like the spring refresh for those phones, or everyone you know usually get their phones early? Everyone I know usually gets their phones earlier, I guess. But um, I I might reconsider that now because I love that green color. I think that green color is awesome. Do you really? Wait, wait, which green do you like? You like the the iPhone 13 green or the the Alpine green? The Alpine green. So I I got the Sierra blue. I'm not going to trade my phone or anything. Like I still love my phone. But it was, I definitely got some, oof, man, if I had just waited a little bit longer because I got my phone in December, um, I could have gotten an Alpine green one. I'm not going to change up my phone for it, but I think it's a really good green. Like, I like it a lot. So I like the pro version versus the uh, non-pro version better. But it, it looks nice the way that the sides are color matched on the iPhone 13 versus the stainless steel sides on the other version. It's just, I think it's a nice it's a nice way to refresh and keep people interested in the phone as the year goes through. Because, you know, if you didn't get the phone in the beginning, it, it's, it's more of an enticing moment for them to try and pull you in. I agree. Uh, halfway through the year. I also think that as the phone, and we've kind of talked about this before, but like as the phone's see more incremental changes each year. And I mean, more like increasing difference, but like the differences are more incremental each year than they are like yeah. big, you know, landmark features. I think colors is going to be a big reason people switch phones if, if they're changing the colors all the time. And so I think this is a good cadence for them to kind of be like, we release new phones in uh, like early fall. And then, you know, in spring, we have a new color to keep things fresh again. And then just the cycle goes on and on. I think that's a good pattern for them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a good strategy to keep people interested in what there is. And you're always, since you're doing it every year and the phones don't change kind of, as you mentioned, um, like so significantly every year, it's a way to kind of keep people interested in it. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on from the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro new colors. Let's talk about the iPhone SE. So this is new for 2022. We have the iPhone SE now available in Midnight, Starlight, and Product Red, which we... We talked about one last week. We had the colors. I mean, the colors didn't change, essentially, right? They just the name renamed changed, the colors. Yeah. yeah, they renamed them. So this is now the 4.7-inch iPhone SE 3. So they didn't change the screen size. They did increase the processor from the A13 to the A15. They kept Touch ID in the body of the phone, unlike how it is on the iPad devices, where it's in the sleep-wake button. But the camera is still single camera, 12-megapixel camera that is supports... HDR4 and photographic style. So it's just like the camera that is in the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro, the primary camera. It does have water resistance, IP67, and it does have 5G, but it doesn't have millimeter wave. At least that's not... I missed that. Oh, you missed missed that? that. Yeah, but that makes sense. Totally makes sense. So I guess at this point, it's not clear if it has millimeter wave, but it doesn't look like it does because they don't list it in the bands that the device supports. Mm -hmm. But what's cool is that now that you have the updated processor, you can do live text, you can do on-device dictation. So that's those are two really, I think, useful features, practically useful. Not like, oh, they told me about something that I'll never use. <laughs> They're practically useful that you <laughs> practically useful that you can have on your iPhone. And they did change the front and back of the device to ceramic shield, which I thought that was nice as well to give people, I guess, a little more um, sense of security that if they drop the device or something happens to it. It won't necessarily be broken. They did increase the price from $399 to $429, which I thought was interesting. And they kept $64 and $256 for the configurations. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah. Apple, what is wrong with you? $64, who does that? I have, I agree, and I, I have strong opinions on it here. I have stronger opinions on the same exact issue for another product we'll talk about right after the iPhone SE, iPad Air 5, because that same issue there, but we'll get 
We'll get to that. That's a whole mess, I think. The ceramic shield is a really good touch for this device because I feel like someone who buys an iPhone SE is someone who I just want a phone that works and lasts me a while. And they're not thinking about the fanciest features. They don't want to buy a really expensive phone. They just want to get something that works and will last them for a while. And I think ceramic shield is a nice thing to add to a phone with that being the purpose of the phone where it'll hold up a little bit better over time. I agree with you. You know, hold on. I, I have to. I have to correct myself. Got some real time feedback here. So the sixty four gig is four twenty nine. There is a one twenty eight version for four seventy nine, and there's a two fifty six version for five seventy nine. That's a big jump from. It's like fifty dollars and then a hundred dollars. Yeah, because you go from from sixty four gigs to one twenty eight is sixty four gigs. Then from one twenty eight to two fifty six is another hundred twenty eight gigs. I mean, so like mathematically or like if you're thinking about computer, like the way computers operate, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense (laughs) from from an economic standpoint. And it's available on all the carriers here in the U.S. I don't know. Like we talked about it last week. Like, is this a phone for someone who might consider like getting a phone? They're they're not necessarily uh, looking for all the latest features. That is certainly a possibility. But then you got me thinking about. Is this a phone that you'd want to give to your kid? And I think that's probably, you know, the more I think about it, it's not necessarily a bad option, mm-hmm. you know, because it's small, it's compact, it has all the new features, you know, it doesn't have some of the nice fancy cameras that the other iPhones have, but it's still not a bad pricing option, especially for parents when you consider, you know, if you're in certain hardships, you know, 64 gigs for 429, it's not a bad deal and your carrier might be even giving you a deal on it. Yeah. The only thing that I think is missing, uh, a friend pointed this out to me, and at first I didn't think much of it, but as I kind of sat on it a little bit, I think he has a good point. Why isn't MagSafe on these devices? I feel like MagSafe, one of the things it's missing is a wider range of phones that utilize that functionality to entice uh, accessory manufacturers to want to make more MagSafe accessories. There's a lack, I think, of MagSafe accessories. And I think having the SE have MagSafe would have been a not a super expensive thing to implement, even if it's just the magnet and it had a lower charge rate. I think it would have helped. I don't know. That's just kind of my thought there. So I thought this device does have MagSafe. Does it? That'd be Hold awesome on. if it does. I don't, I didn't think it did. I didn't see anything about that. Huh? So, uh, you're, I mean, you and your friend are spot on. It doesn't make sense that this device doesn't have it. I guess, I mean, they're, they want to keep down the cost for some reason. Yeah. Well, they want to keep down the cost. They can make some more, more money. So that is news to me. Thank you very much for pointing that out. Thanks, my friend, because I would have assumed it was in there, too, to be honest. Um, and again, like it didn't strike me as a big deal at first, but I'm like, no, I think MagSafe kind of needs that. There's really only two generations of iPhone that have it right now. And I don't think most people buy the latest iPhone outside of launch. Yeah, I totally agree. With the update to the A15, they did get more battery life. So they got 15 hours of video playback native on the device. 10 hours of video streaming and 50 hours of audio playback, which I thought was, they said it was better or more battery efficient, but I don't necessarily think, let's see here, go to the comparison. Yeah, I think the battery is still the same size. They didn't mention it. And if they didn't mention it, yeah, actually, I don't know though, because the iPhone 13, did they say it had a bigger battery or did they just say it had better battery life? No, they said it did have a, a bigger battery. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully in the coming days, as these start getting into people's hands, We'll learn more about the battery, uh, about the size of the battery. Mm-hmm. But at this point, unfortunately, that's not known. Up to 50% charge in 30 minutes with 20-watt adapter sold separately. So the no adapter in the box. Wireless charging works with Qi chargers. So other than that, you get the 429, 479, and 579 
Uh, this is available also for pre-order on Friday and available in stores on March 18th. This, it doesn't seem like it's a very compelling device, but one of the things that I, he, Tim Cook said at the beginning of this section is that this is one of the most popular devices that they have. And I'm not sure if that's based on cost or, I mean, it certainly can't be based on features. <laughs> I honestly don't know, but I just thought that was interesting that he said that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. And and especially interesting because if, I think it was a few days ago, I can't remember when I read this, but there's somewhere like 40% of iPhone users would buy an iPhone SE is what I saw. Yes, I saw that too. And I'm like, I didn't read, I just looked at the headline. I didn't read the article. My my first thought with the lack of knowledge not reading the article was that can't be right. There's just no, just no way that that's, that's the case. But if Tim Cook said that on stage... I'm much more inclined to to believe it. I don't think he would, you know, talk some, you know, some bull about that. No, I don't think so either. So at 429 for this device, the cheapest iPhone right now is this is the cheapest iPhone. Yeah. Because the 64 gig iPhone 11 is 499. They didn't even keep around the old iPhone SE. Wow, that's that's actually interesting too. I thought they would have maybe kept it around to, you know, decrease the price. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. Yeah, interesting. Huh, those crazy pricing folks. Uh, anything else that you want to add here? I mean, the iPhone SE is the iPhone SE. It's not really anything yeah. crazy about it. But one thing I will say is last week, my big concern was, oof, with 5G, maybe this is not going to be the best battery life and it's a better battery life. And I trust Apple when they say the battery life is better. I really do. I don't think that they, you know, um, Tim Cook's not also put, um, pulling any bull with that one either. They've been pretty straight about battery life. And if anything, they've always underestimated their battery life than I've actually gotten on my devices. So at least in my experience with them. Yeah, I would agree with that. So the big concern last week's episode was how will this battery last or how will this device last with 5G in the new processor? And it turns out it actually kind of it fares kind of well, right? It's not as bad as we thought. So now let's move on to the iPad Air 5. The iPad Air 5 is the latest iteration of the iPad Air because it's the iPad Air 5, available now in space gray, blue, gold, starlight, pink, and purple. And let me tell you, between the blue and the purple, I don't know which one I would like more because those are two great colors. They're just very eye-catching. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it's just a nice-looking color. Surprisingly, they added the M1 to this device, so they didn't go A15. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I mean, it's it's just like, wait, what? Like, she said that, uh, she, sorry, the woman who was talking about the feature specs... She's like, and this features the new M1. I'm like, wait, what? Like, I, I had to stop myself. I was like taking notes and yeah. I had to go back. I'm shocked and chagrined that this device gets the M1. I don't know what they're doing here, but we'll talk about that more in a second here. Super underpowered. They should put an M1 Ultra in there. Yeah, what yeah, are they doing? Totally put the, come on, Apple. <laughs> it's a 60% increase in performance over the previous generation chip with a two times increase in GPU performance. I thought it was interesting that they compare this device against quote unquote comparable Windows PCs because I don't know who's buying a comparable Windows PC that costs $599. I, I just don't know. I don't know anyone who buys PCs. So that's maybe just, you know, my lack of awareness. But, mm-hmm. and they also framed this device as a mobile gaming powerhouse, which I thought was really yeah. interesting as well. I agree. I think it's just not how, I mean, I'm sure lots of people use their iPads for that. I just, I've just never thought of my yeah. iPad as a gaming device. The mini, I can see that being a different story, but it's still like an iPad Air. To me, that's a entertainment or light content creation device. Hmm. Yeah. Entertainment meaning movies, YouTube, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I gotcha. 
still sporting the 10.9 inch liquid retina display from last year. They did upgrade the front facing camera to 12 megapixels. So it now does support the ultra wide camera with center stage, which is I think obviously um, a welcomed addition in this day and age. And they added 5G, which it's not clear if it's millimeter wave or not, but then they also added or upgraded the USB-C interface from five gigabit per second to 10 gigabit per second uh, throughput, which I think that was really interesting as well. Like they, they called it out for some reason, uh, you know, they're, they must feel like it's significant to, you know, to talk about it. Yeah. So two things. So one, Apple announced a new display, which we'll get to more in just a few minutes, but this is one of the only three devices that's an iPad that works with that display. So only the iPad Air, the iPad Pro 11-inch, and the iPad Pro 12.9-inch, all with the M1 chip, will work with this upcoming display that uh, the Apple Studio display, whatever it's called. So I think it's interesting that they're, you know, they're talking about the M1, how it is like this very compelling, uh, I guess, compute uh, feature set for computing where you can do all these different things. And if you wanted to, you could buy this, you know, nice $1,500 display to connect your, uh, to connect your device to it. But where do you think, uh, so my thoughts are that Apple really needs to differentiate how these experiences are, but I guess, where do you think that they're going to go with, you know, from a, like a use case perspective, like how it would be used from a normal consumer's point of view? Yes, this is, we've kind of talked about this in terms of like the, with the iPads, like, can you really put a pro app on there? Will it really like... Not from like a hardware like processor standpoint, from like the how you interact with the device, would it hold up the same? My guess is how this came about was Apple made an insanely great M1 chip and then thought to themselves, why put an A chip in this when the M1 chip will work in there? And they just threw it in there. I, I kind of think it, it just kind of happened that way. I don't know if yep. there's always been this idea of the grand vision of like the two merging into one. And mm-hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with that. They've been so firm about that not being the case. I really just think that they could get it that chip to fit in there, and it does. If they could get an M1 Pro to fit in the iPad Pros, like they do that too. Like I, just, I think it's just a matter of if they can kind of get away with it or not and be able to offer that same experience. But it still does leave, and this is the thing we hear every time that a new iPad comes out, and especially when a new iPad OS comes out, it still does kind of bring up that question now of like, okay, well, can't the iPad do so much more than this? And it still like just doesn't happen. And like, it's like, we're always on edge about it every single time. So I don't know, like I've made guesses about this before in the past. And I, I think I just have to acknowledge, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know what they're going to do anymore. I think the chip is in there just because it, it, it works. Yeah, I think you're right. I think at 599, if you're brand new to the iPad or if you're coming from an older iPad, it certainly is a compelling device. It's, you know, it maybe would be the default device I might suggest to someone who who's not constrained by, you know, from a, a capital perspective. But it's it's still like five ninety nine is a lot of money when you think about upgrading to a device that you might not be able to use as an everyday device. Then you have to sink more money into a keyboard. It's just not really it's not a good situation. Mm-hmm. Now, what I did notice looking at the product page is that, you know, it, it is the same M1 chip, but they only have eight gigs of RAM on this device. I say only when the M1 iPad Pro is configurable from 8 or 16. So I just thought that was interesting. They don't give you the option there as well. So it seems like if Apple is trying to steer you at the point, if you need more RAM, go to an iPad Pro. If you need a better display, go to a 12.9-inch iPad Pro. If you need better throughput on the USB-C interface, go to an iPad Pro. You know, there's they're making these subtle differentiations between these features that are almost, you know, near parity on each of these devices where it makes choosing your, you know, what device you want to get 
somewhat easier, but then also somewhat harder, if that makes sense. Like it's like, mm-hmm. because they're all, all so close in like feature sets. Yeah. I think with some exceptions, like, like face ID, I think face ID should come to the iPad air pretty soon, but with yeah. that, that outside of the equation, I think what it kind of comes down to is if you have, and maybe this is a little snobby, I don't know, but if you have to ask about what the differences between the two models, you probably should just go with the air. Oh, hold in. <laughs> well, I think like you would know if you need better throughput, you would know if you need um, like the yeah. more advanced camera system. I kind of feel like these are things you, you would know if you're in the market yeah. shopping for that kind of stuff, because you have that need. Um, if someone's just like, Oh, I want an iPad to browse the web and you know what's thunderbolt like you should get an ipad air yes that makes sense so looking through the features on the ipad or sorry the, the physical uh the physical characteristics of the device they did not adopt the orient what i would call the orientationless volume rocker buttons that they have on the ipad mini so the ipad mini doesn't have the volume rocker buttons on the side where the apple pencil is because of the size of the frame they have them on the top of the device i think it's interesting that i would think you know it seems su- super super petty but a lot of people like that because depending on how you turn the device, mm-hmm. the volume rockers would function in different orientations. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was actually kind of silly, but it would seem that they would go one way or the other and they just can't went both ways. So if you have both devices, you get scared or not scared. You get confused on how to use it. Yeah. Also, too, I feel like, and we've talked about this, too, is like the iPad, I feel like people probably use it in landscape more often now. So don't put the buttons on the bottom when you're holding a landscape. It's just awkward. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally, totally, totally. It's a little bit of a mixed bag when you have some of these devices, you go from one to the other. Other than that, the features seem to be almost identical on the iPad Air 5 versus the iPad Air 4, minus what we talked about. So you have the camera, the upgraded USB-C interface, the processor. I don't see anything that's actually very compelling. Now, as someone, you know, I know you said that you are not looking to buy a new iPad, but if you think about being a uh, an iPad Air 3 owner, which that's four years old at this point, right? Your iPad 2018? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Is there anything in here that you see compelling where you'd be like, okay, I would like to have this feature, but, uh, you know, I'm, a- anything like that? Not really, no. My Ever since I got my MacBook Pro, I do so much more on it because the battery lasts that much longer. I know they're not exactly comparable yeah. in terms of the use cases for them. I haven't even charged my iPad since I got this. So I kind of feel like I'm at a point now where I'm just in an iPad-less workflow. And I'm starting to think of some things that I could use it for. So I'm probably going to get back to using it pretty soon and maybe I'll change my mind then. But the, the, the main reason I'd want an iPad Air at this point is just for Apple Pencil 2 over Apple Pencil 1. Oh yeah, that's that's a very good, uh, very good use case. So it says here on the display support supports full native resolution on built-in display, supports one external display up to six K resolution at sixty hertz. That's really, mm-hmm. really, it supports six K. Wow. Yeah, that's am- that's amazing. Well, it's M one, you know, it's it's so powerful. Yeah, because you could use it with the the Pro Display. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. Let's move on to the 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 beef the the ultra part of the <laughs> event the M1 Ultra. So they came out with a new processor, new a new chipset, and which is a fusion. Uh, that would be funny if they called it fusion. It's a fusion of the M1 Max, two of those system amount of chips fused together. So this is going to give you 114 billion transistors capable of doing 2.5 trillion terabytes per second. 
of computation, which I think is just like an unrealistic, like it's unfathomable at this point. This is, I guess, the higher offering for the new Mac Studio device. And I guess it's probably a precursor to what we would see in the Mac Pro. But the person that demonstrated it was Johnny Saruji. So the, the demonstration that they had there or the charts were just ridiculous. It was like, it's faster than this, faster than that. It's it's more power efficient than this, and it's way more power efficient than that. Mm-hmm. Really, that's how he talked like an abstract. Yeah. But there is a lot of a lot of computing going on here in this little, little processor. It's it's actually kind of mind-boggling how much they're getting done here. I'm curious where this falls in terms of processors. Cause like I don't like I'm aware of that Intel has different like versions. They have i3, i7, i9. Is Ultra like an even like I feel like Max was the i9 comparison. Is this even greater than that? I think yes. I don't know if they're necessarily analogous, but so some of the some of the the callouts here supports nine streams. So this is actually the M1 Max. M1 Max is 2.5 times faster CPU performance in comparison to the M1. 3.4 times faster GPU performance, 2.2 times faster machine learning. So you could do things like nine streams of AK, 57 billion transistors, 11 trillion operations per second, and you could support five displays. So the M1 Ultra is basically two of those chips. You could do 18 streams of 8K ProRes video playback, which the uh, the woman who was presenting, she's like, no other computer can do this. So I can't even like 18 streams of video playback going on at once. That's a lot of video yeah. going in a stream. Five displays, you get two encode decode engines for ProRes, or sorry, four because it's double. There's just things that are unimaginable. Mac Studio with M1 Ultra, 5.3 times faster performance for, I mean, all of these apps, they're just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm trying to think of a better word than ridiculous and ultra because they sound very, <laughs> um, they sound very comparable like in this context. Mm-hmm. So the baseline is the 27-inch iMac with Radeon Pro. This is five times faster than that. In com- So Final Cut Pro is a video editing app. Compressor, which is a video encoding app, 12.6 times faster. Like that, those things are kind of, Kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I don't know any other way of putting it than other than ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's it's an absurd. To, it, it's crazy because absurd. Yeah, it's absurd because we saw the Max and we're like, man, this chip is absurd. And now it's like, I I don't have a better word than that. <laughs> this is this is more absurd, I guess. Like it's just it's 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 absolutely insane the the power that we can uh, that we can get out of that. And I guess it's I guess it shouldn't have been surprising that this happened because the Max was a laptop chip. This is the, this is the first like purely desktop based chip that they've released. It's crazy. And here's the other thing too is two thoughts. One, these are stepping stones to the next chip. It's always a stepping stone to the next chip. So like in 2 years we'll probably see the M2 Ultra. And that thing's going to be insane. Like if this is already as powerful as now, this next one's going to be even crazier, but even closer than that, they they teased at the Mac Pro in a way that I've never seen them do in, in a keynote before is to yeah. call out a specific product and be like, and we have, they've never done an event and be like, um, and you think the air is great. Wait till you see the next iPad pro, but that's for later. Like they've never really done anything like that before to, to my knowledge in a keynote at least. And yes, I feel like, is this going to have an even crazier ultra in it? Like, is, is, are we still not seeing the full breadth of what 
Apple's going to be able to offer with their chips? Because it'd be a little uh, so. ridiculous if like the Mac Pro came out and it's running the same exact specs as the Mac Studio. We'd be like, that just wouldn't make any sense to me. Unless the Mac Pro is just so modular, that's its benefit. But we'll see. But I'm blown away either way. Like the M1 on it, M1 Ultra on itself to go back to that. It's just, it's ludicrously powerful in a really small package. Have you done the AR test to like see the size of the thing? It's super small. So it's 3.3 inches tall by 7.7 inches you know, a square, $19.99. And if you look at what is coming in the M1 Max chipset on the studio, 10 core CPU, eight, which is comprised of eight performance cores and two high efficiency cores. If you were building this in a 14 inch MacBook Pro, this is like $2,800, right, Holden? So, I mean, that, so you you could think about it like a couple ways. So one, Apple values the liquid retina XDR display on the MacBook Pro 14 inches at 800 bucks. But still, there is a lot of compute power in this little small enclosure. 24 core CPU, 16 core uh, neural engine, and it's capable of delivering 400 gigabits, gigabytes of memory bandwidth. It's actually kind of crazy that they're able to get this. Now, I'll be honest with you. I think it is ugly. Oh, really? Ugly. Yes, I I do not like it at all. (laughs) Now, I might be an outlier here, but I'm just like, ooh. Like, so this actually leaked yesterday. I don't know if if you knew that or not. But there was a YouTuber who posted a video of this. I mean, he had the design down and everything yesterday. And I'm like, oh, wow, that maybe I could see that. But no, it looks it actually looks ugly in person. I guess either way, <laughs> it's it it's yeah it, it's it's not a looker in my opinion. Maybe it looks different in person, but there's something about the way the ports look on the front. It just looks I don't know. I'm not a fan. Yeah, I I can say it, it definitely is an odd look to have the ports in the front for an Apple product because the Apple does generally doesn't do that. But man, is that practical? It is practical. Like I, at least I thought maybe the USB C ports on the front and the SD card reader on the front would be centered. Like not like offset. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It so for me, I had a very hard time thinking about who is this for. Like who is going to buy this machine at nineteen ninety nine? Because it is a lot of machine, and even the more powerful one, which is twice as much, is even so much more, uh, so much more compute that's capable of, and it's configurable all the way up to seventy five hundred dollars. I don't know anyone who has this type of constraint where they need like i need this much computing power to do my job but i don't know scientists that do you know or mathematicians that are running like these like they're trying to code the, the you know some crazy algorithm or something I, I i can't even think of an example that's how like dumbfounded i am right now yeah but it's a lot of compute in watching this i'm thinking to myself what what type of average person watching this is saying i need that like that you know there's far more average people that that just out there looking at, you know, watching the event. And there, I can think of myself, people don't need this thing. This is like, it's it's definitely a niche device. Maybe that's the way of thinking about it. Yeah, I, there are people out there who want it, I think. I do oh, yeah. think that it is good timing for Apple that there is not a iMac Pro yet and there is not a Mac Pro yet. Because I feel like if those two products were had already been announced, this would have felt super redundant. And I'm curious yeah. how the conversation around this device changes as we see those products come out. And I think it works very much as just like a template for the um, M1 Ultra. So the 27-inch iMac is gone. I'm talking about the Pro version. Like this rumored, like, you know, iMac Pro oh, yes. is going to probably have an M1 Ultra option. 
build into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I misunderstood that. Yeah, so I, I think you're absolutely right. But why would they offer the iMac Pro when they offer this? I guess it depends on what the iMac Pro ends up being. I don't, yeah. I am, after seeing this, I am not convinced that the iMac Pro is going to be the 1799 27-inch iMac that we know, or ha- well, I guess did know. It's going to be more like Mm-mm. the iMac Pro of the past that started at $5,000. And I think that this yeah. is going to be for, it's the same reason why someone would get a Mac Mini when the iMac exists. It's like, well, you have your monitor, you have your mouse and keyboard, you just need the computer, you get this. And I feel like positioning this with the monitor kind of sets, which we'll get to the studio display in a second, I'm sure, kind of makes sense. Like, I can see someone getting a studio monitor or studio display, having that for many generations of having a Mac studio and just having that just constant display they always have and then getting the Mac studio instead of potentially spending hypothetically $5,000 on an iMac Pro. Do you think that there's a future where there's a Mac Studio and a Mac Studio Pro? I, I feel like the Mac Studio Pro is just the uh, ultra edition of it. Okay. So I think maybe whether it's by design or not, like this device is quote unquote not uh, in the Pro colors. Like it's not like the Space Gray. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, but either is the Mac Pro, I guess. That's maybe the, the thing. The Mac Pro is not available in Space Gray. So I was wondering if they would ever consider doing a Studio Pro in that space gray that had some kind of more ridiculous features. But you're right. This is the the Pro version is probably the uh, with the Ultra. Now that you kind of call it out, though, I'm surprised they didn't do a and if you get it with the Ultra, it also comes in space gray or something like that. Like, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that. It's a very Apple move to do. Maybe that's just old Apple. We're not there anymore. I think you posed a really good question. It's kind of like, who is this for? Because I think one thing this definitely brings into mind, and as for me as like a dork, it's like, oh boy, G4 Cube. Even though G4 Cube is not a successful Mac and it was discontinued Mm-mm. relatively shortly. Still though, I will make, I still think that's one of the, that and the Sunflower iMac are like two of my favorite retro Mac designs, without a doubt. Yeah, super cool stuff. Um, so I can see this becoming the G4 Cube again. In some respects, I could totally see that. But I, I do think that there probably is a market for someone who would rather change out their Mac Studio every few years than buy a whole all-in-one setup every time. It's probably more cost-effective for that person, especially if these chips, if this is not a modular device, and you're gonna have, if you want a new chip, you're going to have to get a new computer. I can see that being the case. But again, maybe the Mac Pro will make that redundant. Who knows? But there's still a lot of questions. Yeah, I agree. One of the other things I thought was interesting is that this is the only device that is available with four Thunderbolt or USB four ports, I guess natively. And then if you get the M1 Ultra, you're getting two additional Thunderbolt four ports. So that is a lot of connectivity on this device. Now that I'm looking at this, it doesn't actually kind of seem like such a bad deal. <laughs> I'm like, maybe, no, um, I, no, I'm not. Uh, it does, <laughs> what is surprising. Was there like the justification happening of, well, if I just, I could get... <laughs> Yeah, I know the feeling. What is very interesting that the the M1 Ultra is seven point seven pounds. Seven, sorry, seven point nine pounds. That is heavy. Really? Yep. The M1 Max is five point nine pounds, which is that's like a pound and a half heavier than the MacBook Pro, sixteen inch MacBook Pro. That's fascinating. It's got to be 
additional cooling systems inside or something like that. Because there's no way the chip actually weighs that much. <laughs> there's no way. I have no idea. I love to see when they take it apart. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would love to see that. Yeah, that's And get that's a very, amazing. very low repairability score for my fix it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're you're more than likely you're probably spot on. What's kind of disappointing is this HDMI video out is not 2.1. It's still HDMI 2.0. It's like, what 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 are they doing here, Apple? Yeah, yeah especially when I would I would assume like the the um, studio display is not ProMotion, and neither is the Pro Display XDR. But I imagine they're going to do that at some point. Probably not in the far future. Yeah. And you would need to HDMI 2.1 to support something like that. I guess Thunderbolt yeah. 4 is enough to handle that. So maybe they're not worried about it there. I have no idea. So the studio display is Apple's new 27-inch Thunderbolt display that's capable of pushing 14 million pixels at 218 pixels per inch at 600 nits of brightness. So they had me at 600 nits of brightness. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> because it is so hard to find a display that is relatively you know that is not like ungodly expensive and that has high brightness like when you look at 4k displays and what's better that this is a 5k display Mm -hmm. so the 5k display it supports true tone it supports p3 and they have an option for that nano texture glass which i would never get but it has an a13 processor built into it that runs the 12 megapixel ultra wide camera inside of the display that's capable of doing center stage and it has a three array mic for like video conferencing, for uh, for talking, for podcasting like we're doing right now. So this is a very, I think, compelling purchase when other 5K displays are in the same price range, you know, $14.99, $13.99 of this display. So to tell you, this is what I purchased because I want, I definitely want to see this, but this is the only thing that I purchased. I've not, I haven't bought anything else. I like the fact that it has the six speaker sound system and that it has Thunderbolt. But where I'm, I think I'm disappointed is that it doesn't do Thunderbolt daisy chaining like some of the the smaller Thunderbolt displays, like the 24 inch LG. You can do, you can connect them uh, via daisy chain, but it will charge your MacBook Pro 16 inch and your Mac 14 inch via the 96 power watt uh, power delivery. And with the 14 inch, you get that fast charging. Yes, it'll do fast charging. I don't think it's necessarily a. I actually, I think it's a good value at 1599. Mm-hmm. I don't know what. Uh, what your thoughts are on that, but like other displays that I've seen that have high brightness, high, uh, so high brightness, high pixel density are in this same neighborhood. And pixel density is really, for, to me, what matters when I'm looking for a display. I'm not looking for low pixel density or low brightness. Yeah. I like it a lot and I can definitely see myself getting one at some point. Um, my only, only hang up is there isn't ProMotion, which if I have a ProMotion yeah. MacBook Pro, I would like my Apple display that is matching it to support that feature too, considering they're both display technologies. That's my only gripe though. I thought this was going to be a $2,500 display. I was convinced yeah. it was going to be the price. It was going to be way too expensive. And like, don't get wrong, $1,599 is still a pricey display for a lot of people, for most people. But as I think about, you know, setting up my future office and that kind of stuff, I'm like, yeah, I, I can see myself getting that and using my current, my I have a uh, 4K 27 inch right now and it can swivel yep. on its own. And so I'm like, oh, I I can use that as a secondary display for code and, and yes. keep it vertical. And then I'll have my studio display to the side of that. Like I, I can fit that in my my setup, I think. So it's interesting that you brought up the the differences between the 120 hertz refresh rate and like this panel. I have my 
MacBook Pro connected to another display here, and it's a 60 hertz panel. I don't know if I've ever noticed it now. Like I've never said, oh, wow, you, I could see the difference here versus there. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. One thing, and th- yeah, it's, it's sort of a future concern because I'm pretty sure that the MacBook Pros are not fully optimized for ProMotion to the extent that the iPhone 13 Pro has been. Yeah. So I think that might be part of it. It hasn't bothered me personally yet, but as it kind of becomes more uniform across the system, I have a feeling that I might start to notice it because I definitely on my iPhone feel that and I'm so used to it that when I use a device that's not ProMotion like this is, it feels strange to me. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. I would imagine that 120 hertz refresh rate in this type of panel with that brightness would add a a good chunk of cost to it. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Maybe the Pro XDR Mm. is next for that feature. I mean, it would get it first for sure. So is the the Pro part that the display refresh rate or is it the size or is it a combination of like, what, what do you think is the Pro aspect of it? Of the Pro Display XDR? I think it has even stronger contrast and color accuracy, I believe. I think that's one of the big things. Yep. So it's larger. It's five inches larger. It's it's 6K instead of 5K. Uh, same pixel density. It's three times greater brightness. So instead of being 600 nits of brightness, it's 1600 nits. And that's sustained over a period of time. It has the same, you know, three different uh, true tone, anti-reflective coating, and you can get a nano texture option if you wanted to. But I'm thinking to myself, like if you were using this in a studio setting, like you're editing a movie, like movies are not shot in 120, they're not shot 120 frames per second, or, you know, there's very few scenes in a movie that might be, might be set or or might align with that frame rate. Like maybe the benefit or the perceived benefit of that type of display is not as great in kind of everyday use cases. There's only a few things like maybe system animations. Like I'm just trying to think here, like where would it be beneficial but you're right. As soon as you pick up an iPhone 13 or an iPad Pro, you start using ProMotion. You're like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. And then you get used to it. And then when you go to other things, it's like, oh, oh my God, what am I looking at? The pixels, they hurt my eyes. The pixels. Oh, <laughs> I think it is nice that they do offer the additional option for it's like for tilt up and down. It's basically like, yeah. uh, not, it's not a cantilever. I'm trying to think what the mechanism is called. Tilt it up. It's a weight, isn't it? Up. Like a, it's a weighted. I, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's the same thing they use in the Pro Display XDR. Same yep, standard. Except for it's not a thousand dollars. Yes. <laughs> so here's my question for you. So it sounds like the nano texture display is not for you. What do you think about no. that like different stand? Because that to me that actually is kind of appealing. The different stand. So there was this uh you mean the stand that's uh, tilt adjustable? Yep. So I would I thought that I might would have bought that because I would like to use that in portrait mode, but I end up won't using that in portrait mode. I'll use the display that I have here in portrait mode. Mm -hmm. So like when I'm editing video, I would have the two displays. One would be vertical, one would be horizontal. And the one that's horizontal would be used for like my, uh, not my timeline, but all my video clips. And then I would have something else in, um, or the other display with the timeline and, uh, the, uh, the viewer window. Mm -hmm. I do think it's, it's actually a a cool feature. I just, uh, didn't want to, honestly, I didn't want to pay 400 bucks for it. Is there really that much more? Yeah, it's a lot. I think it's $399, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see. Order now. Just double check. Standard glass, tilt adjustable stand. It goes from $1599, sorry, $1599 to $1999. So a $400 yeah. increase, yeah. Yeah, and it's not available for like f- several weeks. Of course. 
Of yeah. course it is. I would buy the the VESA adapter. Mm-hmm. It's like you get the VESA adapter or you get the tilt adjustable stand. You don't get both. Like you just can't buy one separately. It looks like. I always found that really strange, but I don't know much about yeah. VESA adapters. So yeah, it's basically, I mean, it's just, it's just an adapter for the back of the display that fits the, you know, they're, they're all pretty standard. Yeah. I don't know. So I am interested to see this. I'm interested to see how it functions and see how it works with the iPad, whether I keep it. I mean, it's still, I think, remains to be seen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will excited to see it next Friday when it comes here. And I bet I surprised you. That's the only thing that I bought. I figured you'd get the studio display. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever, Holden. <laughs> Whatever. I'm actually interested to how it sounds and how the mics sound. Like, I think that's, yeah. a, like, if you can use them in, I imagine that they have to sound good where you could use them in, like, video conferencing or maybe just to record in-room audio for something else. Uh, that would be, I think, a, a good, a good use of that, because the the mics and the video camera on my LG Ultrafine, the mics sound bad. The video camera is like a potato cam, but it's <laughs> it's a few years old. The speakers sound good though. The speakers are actually really good. I like them a lot. They said it was the best camera and audio setup in a Mac generally or Mac desktop. They said, they said something along those lines. Something. Yeah. And the MacBook Pro cameras are, I'd say, a big step up. I mean, I'm, rec- I'm recording this right now, my MacBook Pro camera. Me too. Yeah. And I think they, they look pretty good. Yeah. They look surprisingly decent, especially when you give them a lot of light. Yeah. So the only other thing that we that we didn't talk about and that Tim didn't talk about, I didn't see any dates for software. I didn't see, I know they released, I think, the GM today for iOS and iPadOS but I would assume with these coming out next week as, or starting next week, we'll see that software probably on Tuesday or Wednesday of next mm-hmm. week. Probably, yeah. It's 15.4, right? 15.4 for iOS and iPadOS. Mac OS 12.4, if I'm not mistaken. And the only other thing that they didn't talk about on stage, which makes sense, is going to be the new iPhone cases, new Apple Watch bands, and some of the other accessories that they uh, that they have. Have you a chance to see any of the watch bands or any of the cases? Uh, I did. I perused around. Uh, nothing that stood out to me specifically, although I did see there was a shockingly bright flamingo pink braided loop available on Apple Watch now. It's very bright. Is it really? It's very bright, yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, for someone who loves that, they're going to love it. I was just, it just surprised me when I saw it because it, it was very bright. Oh, wow, yeah. Is it called flamingo pink? Yeah. Not wow. a Christmas the color. really bright. Not my kind of color, but... For someone who likes that color, I think they're going to like that a lot. Yeah, the, the green is nice. Bright green braided yep. loop. Yeah. See, I have the dark Apple Watch, though. So I like having a darker band along with it. So I see the bright bands. It's kind of like, all right, I'll wait for the fall colors. It'll yeah. be darker. They even have, uh, they're going all in on Starlight and Abyss Blue. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, sorry. Starlight is new, not Abyss Blue. Flamingo, braided loop, and then... They have a whole bunch of sport loops. I'm kind of over the sport loops at this point. Do they have any new Hermes bands? No, right? Not that I'm buying a Hermes. Uh, they do. Apple Watch Hermes single tour. Jumping single tour. Sounds so fancy. <laughs> Holden, is there anything else that you want to talk about this evening? Not not anything. Um WWDC is the next event, so home run stretch for that. This is, I think, one we're both excited for. So that's far off now, but let's get hyped ready. All right, let's let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Are you somewhat surprised that they 
didn't differentiate between the iPad Pro 5 and the iPad, sorry, the iPad Pro 11 inch and the iPad Air 5 very much. They're roughly the same size, same processor, same display. Like there's really not a whole lot that differentiates the two of them. Mm -hmm. And there's not a significant price difference, you know, depending on how you have it configured. I just find that interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of wondering if there's a reason that they're not bringing Face ID and ProMotion to the Air because at that point, the differences would be so subtle. Yeah. Well, Holden, I want to thank you for joining me today. Everyone, thank you very much for listening to Networked. I am Mike Caputo. Holden, we'll talk to you next one. We'll talk to you. I can't say it again. Holden, we'll talk to you in the next one. <laughs> I'll see you next one. Bye-bye.